Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. Listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. By any measure, you can confidently claim that the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team are the world's most successful sports organization in the world and famed for starting any game with their intimidating black jerseys and their dramatic and cultural symbolic haka, which is a traditional Maori warrior challenge to the plain opposition, they have amassed a track record that is truly unequaled by any other team in sport. And in more than a century of playing, uh, they started in 1903, by the way, the All Blacks have won almost 75% of their 580 plus matches in history. It's often said that the All Blacks remember their defeats more than their actual victories. And they accomplished this domination despite New Zealand only having a population of about four and a half million people, with their financial and limited player resources being dwarfed by England and France and Australia and South Africa and so many others. They truly punch above their weight class and make every match and every player and every training session count. And just to show you that domination in your market does not have to equate to inflated egos or the proverbial spiking of the football against your opponent, the All Blacks continue to enjoy enormous global success with their grounded sense of humility and character. And one of the most dramatic illustrations of this was at the end of the 2015 Rugby World Cup when New Zealand soundly beat Australia. And at the end of the match, uh, Sonny Bill Williams, one of the All Blacks' best players, gave his winning gold medal to a young boy named Charlie Line. Uh, You see, Charlie had snuck onto the field at the end of the match to celebrate with his team and was soon swarmed by security guards. Feeling sympathy for the young fan, Sonny stepped in very quickly and promptly gave his hard-earned medal to the young Charlie, a kid he had never met before. He later said, rather than have the medal hanging up and collecting dust at home, it's going to be hanging around that young fella's neck and he can tell that story for a long time to come. The players on his market-dominant team are driven, you see, not to become merely a good all-black, but a great all-black. And in this week's episode of the Market Dominance Guys, Connect and Sell's broken down version of their own Sonny Bill Williams, my co-host Chris Beal, takes us on a logic-filled journey of how market dominance happens on an exponential level and not in a linear fashion. The All Blacks clearly recruited and trained and played their competition in exactly such a manner of exponential growth, and it has shown results for 116 years. So welcome to the Market Dominance, guys, in this week's episode entitled, Would It Help If I Perform a Haka Before My Cold Calls? Markets work by 
a process that says if you win one, your opponent is weaker across all future games you're going to play. When you win two, your opponent is weaker yet. Why? Because you have two references and they have zero. When you have three, they're weaker yet. It's harder for them to get their first one. And then they've got to go to the margin. It's like a, being a stallion controlling a, a harem of mares. The other stallions are, on, you know, the guys who don't have a harem are out on the outside. They get an occasional, uh, you know, make a fall here or there. You're getting, you're dominating the market. Why? Because the mares like to be around the guys dominating the mares. That's why it's safe for them. It's a good play. And market dominance works like that. Market dominance works non-linearly. And yet sales compensation, sales plans, business plans, all this stuff are linear. They miss the main point. The main point is not to go, oh, we're going to have this growth that goes like this because our activities go like this. It's, oh, it gets easier, lower risk, cheaper, faster, the faster we go at the beginning. And our denominator is time. So is, uh, if you had, and this is a conversation for another time too, is redesigning the comp plan for the future, the sales comp plan, the sales leadership comp plan, the CEO's comp plan. What I hear you saying is that it should be designed more or less from what we were talking about earlier about the myopia that most folks have when they start a company about their own numbers, their own goals, and instead more of globalist perspective on compensated on their penetration for market share. Yes. That will inherently help the individual the organization hit its goals, but if you're not setting your comp plans out, your incentive plans based off of market dominance, you're living in your own world when there's other visitors in your own universe and choose not to accept it. Yeah, you're simply hoping that somebody doesn't go faster than you within your market. That's a great point. of capturing locos. Hope truly is your strategy if you execute a standard go-to-market. All standard go-to-markets are based simply on the hope that somebody else doesn't get in there and go faster than you. Because it's a runaway. If they win, they win. If they start to win, unless they blow it, they're going to win. And so what should you compensate for early? Logo capture. Referenceable accounts. So your hunter should be compensated for capturing logos. And your customer success people should be compensated for turning those logos into referenceable accounts. And you need to be objective about both of those. And by the way, your pricing model should be designed to capture logos. And your financing plan is a consequence of the application of that logo capturing pricing model applied to your market. So once you go out and you figure out how many, say you're doing this with the phone, how many dials does it take to get a meeting in this market? How many meetings does it take to, to get a, a net new opportunity in this market, right? How does that really work in our market? Oh, look, now I have those conversion numbers. I can take those numbers and say, these are the worst case. This is my early case. This is only going to get better. It's going to get easier because I'm going to have my referenceable customers. What's my time to referenceability from first engagement? Yeah. What are the issues around referenceability? Am I addressing all of the issues around referenceability or hoping somebody else addresses some? So at Connect and Sell, for instance, 
we made a serious error of omission in our own go-to-market. We said, well, certainly it's obvious that there's a big factor, which is when somebody's using connected cell and we've amped up their number of dials and therefore the number of conversations, surely they will be able to handle those conversations and do as well with them as they do with their current conversations. Well, first of all, we found out they weren't having enough current conversations. We know how they're doing. Secondly, we found out, oh, their messaging is terrible. Thirdly, we found out there was a huge talent spread between the top and the bottom, which suddenly was material. The best reps were actually producing at a rate that would allow market dominance to take place with no problem whatsoever. But unfortunately, most of the pool of reps was not doing that or anything. We call them the zeros. You've been through this with me. Why do we have the zeros? Why do we tolerate the zeros, right? And so we went through a process of, it took years, by the way, we were so dumb at it, of learning, you know, the ecosystem, our customers, the trainers, the books, the online information, this desire of people to be better, all that's done enough. We got it, it turns out, we got to bite the bullet and do it. We did something radical. We said, okay, if that's needed, it's needed in order to get referenceable customers for the acceleration effect of connect and sell, not for something else. Therefore, we're going to provide message workshops, messaging workshops, which I personally do. Why do I do those? Because I'm really not trying to get their message correct. I'm trying to get their management to decide that this is worth managing to. So I have to get a mindset change, almost like a religious conversion place in management where they say, oh, I get it. A cold call that works from a foundation of recognizing that the starting point is fear. And I've got to turn fear into trust and trust into curiosity, curiosity into commitment and commitment into action. Once I know that and I believe it, then what the words are and how the words are said means something to me as a business. And now I'll manage to it and I won't be tolerant of drift. That's actually why I do the messaging workshop is to get management to the point where they'll work with us. So I'm trying to create a piece of the ecosystem, a management that yeah. works as a piece of our infrastructure yeah. for their market dominance, because if they don't take that point of view, the alternative, which we've learned the hard way, is the refs. How often do you do those? I do an average of two a day, 2.5 a day. So I'm manufacturing converts. I normally get three to four people on these, sometimes more. About 10 people a day. So it's about, yeah, so it's about um, three, 4,000 people a year who are going through this process of going from I think I know what a cold call is or what it's all about, how the dynamics work. I have a completely different view of that whole process. And I get that it's, I could be under my control and I could use it as the spear point for market dominance. Can you invite me to uh, the next one that you do? Sure. Absolutely. I can also give you record, tons of recordings. Oh yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, sure. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. We could take one of those recordings and take it apart and yeah. anonymize it, just you know, edit it down, and let that be probably four or five episodes. Well, that's what I have on here, is I have part one and part two, the Messaging Workshop podcast, and that, um, or four parts. Jocko just did an incredible podcast with probably, you know, you all hear war stories, and you hear 
folks who are in precarious situations and got out the nick of time and the Huey lands and they're hanging on to the, to the rift, the, the skiff as they're yeah. flying away. And, and then Jocko had a four part, he took his podcast invited into four parts. So it's about five hours with this incredible guy named John Stryker Tyler. And Stryker, or Tilt as they call him, was in a you know, covert operation in Laos. So much of what he experienced, he couldn't communicate until recently. But those stories are just cliffhangers and the hours fly by. And I imagine a messaging workshop that is pertinent to a lot of the data in the cold cognition data that you talk about. And now to see how it comes into place, like you had said, to prevent drift. So you don't just employ a technology, drop it off, and then pop smoke and then get out of there. There is a fair amount of training on the why, not just the what. And that training on the why is as critical as the what. Otherwise, drift will occur. Your numbers, uh, your math won't work, right? You're, you're going to pollute your data set. Exactly. It's going to be polluted with performance numbers that are coincidental, not driven. Ah, that's great. You know, sometimes um, you get lucky, right? The blind pig and all that. <laughs> yeah, and you start falling in love with, with chance, and you assume that chance with no statistical validity is, uh, is the new normal, is the path. I, I love that phrase. You start falling in love with chance. I believe the entire sales profession is fundamentally in love with chance. That's why they celebrate wins. You know, in our company, when somebody closes a deal and there's a win and there's all this jumping around, you know, congratulations. First of all, I noticed that the congratulations always go to the salesperson, not the customer success person who was actually on the ground in the test drive, making it happen. Right. And secondly, I noticed that I never say anything about it because to me, the wins are the lucky outcomes from the thing that really counts, which is, did you push the button? Did you have the conversations? Did you convert those into meetings? Did you eat the false positives and do that with grace and, and uh, in an uncomplaining way? Because they have to be there. And we should do a whole session on just false positives. The importance of false positives, why you must have them, why you must not try to get rid of them. In fact, I'll just I'll jump onto that for just a moment. This is the single biggest fallacy in the entire world of sales. I was talking to somebody who really knows this stuff the other day. I was talking to um, Roy Renani at a conference, at the big exit conference. And we're just standing there in the hall, you know, kind of catching up. And we're talking about qualifying in a cold call. And he said something about how the good rep qualifies in the cold call. And I said, Roy, you know, if you qualify in the cold call, you destroy the integrity of your list. And he said, how's that? I said, well, the list has a certain quality associated with it. If you decide to change that quality, say you have 10 reps and each one is qualifying, each one has a little bit different idea of qualifying, and then the emotional state of the prospect is different because you've ambushed them, so they're, some are more or less ready for those qualifying questions. Some will tell you the truth and some won't. So you have this huge amount of variety you've just introduced in a process and meanwhile, one step downstream in discovery, you have 100% fidelity for qualification. So you jumped the gun and tried to qualify with variety of inputs, with variety of circumstances, with variety of processors. And what you've done is you've effectively made your original list, which had one set of 
of queries or you know one set of uh, processes to make it and you now effectively turned it at random into 10 or 50 or 100 different lists of which the quality is completely unknown because you weren't patient enough to wait for the step of the process where you actually can qualify that's designed for qualification and you've done it because you want to manage the emotional state of your sales rep of your account executive that they don't have to do the company's work. They can only do their work. And you need to remind your folks, you know, there's a reason we pay you a base salary to do the company's work. It's not like a welfare state. You don't get a base salary because, well, people need money to live off or on or whatever. You have a base salary because we are paying you, dear account executive, to do the company's work. And one of the most important things we need to do is we need to assess the quality of our list because our list is the expression of our understanding of our market. And if we don't understand how well we're expressing an understanding of our market in the form of this list, we can never improve our list. All we can do is celebrate luck. So if I, uh, if I have, say I have a house file of two and a half million, but I'm not able to articulate any demographic SIT persona data in that two and a half million. I'm proud that I have a house file of two and a half million when really it's just noise, it's garbage, it's names, it's not a list. You just say, what is a list? A yeah, list yeah. truly is, I like that. Your list is an understanding of your market. Connect and sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform. Your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability as they'll know exactly what to say during critical conversations. So come on, give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell. Visit connectandsell.com. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. It's a hypothesis. And the, the processing of the list is simple. What you're trying to do is to get elements of the list, the people who are on the list, into a process where they can be qualified or disqualified. And if they're qualified, they'll be interested in moving forward by the very nature of it. If they're qualified and you have something of value, it's not very hard to move them forward. And discovery is where we can qualify because of the trust relationship that's different. When you ambush somebody, they don't trust you. They fear you. When they fear you, they won't tell you the truth. They'll tell you whatever it takes to make you go away. So qualifying questions fundamentally can't work in a reliable way in an ambush conversation. Therefore, we should not use an ambush conversation to qualify. Unless qualifying is unimportant. If it's unimportant, then we should do it all the time. But most sales managers would say, and I'm sure you had this conversation, right? Devil's advocate in the hallway is, listen, Chris, I understand that I may tarnish my list, but they were interested and they were open. They were receptive. They wanted to 
they asked me questions about the product and they they showed interest enough where I could venture into cold call into the discovery and have that blended into one sit down session. Why is that so wrong? That's a different error actually. So that error is the error of trying to hold the entire discovery conversation by a quick transition from ambush to uh, mutual agreement. Yes. That's really bad. There's the flavor of it though, which is to go from ambush to quick qualified. Let me ask you three qualified questions. Oh, just to make sure the meeting's great, right? Well, I'm making an assumption. My assumption is you're gonna tell me the truth. Now, there is a place you can pull it off right after they accept the meeting and they put it in their calendar. You're actually on a ledge where you can explore that safely if you're really good at it. But the fact is, it's pointless. And the reason it's pointless is you're still getting lower quality information relative to what you would get in discovery. So take it into discovery and be consistent. It's a rule in manufacturing, right? I don't ever split a process between two workstations, one of which feeds another. I execute a process with a workstation. I produce an intermediate output, that output with known characteristics goes to the next workstation in my assembly line. I don't say, oh, wait, I have a few minutes. I know the next station is supposed to be the one that, that stamps, the, the, uh, you know, stamps the head flap, but I got a minute. I'll go grab a hammer and whack it a few times and see if it works. You don't make stuff like that. You don't do things in manufacturing because I have a minute, because I happen to have that part in hand. You do it with the machines designed to do it. But there's the security that I'm going to, or the insecurity that I'm going to elongate the sales cycle when I don't necessarily need to. Yeah, you are. False positives in all manufacturing processes. False positives are a requirement. Yeah. They're a mathematical requirement because at every step of the process, you're gaining information. Yeah. So you can't pretend rationally that you must have had that information before. When I make the list, there's information I don't have. When I invite somebody through a five-sentence process to come to a discovery meeting, I learn one thing. Are they interested enough to come to the discovery meeting? I manufacture that one piece of information, which is actually pretty valuable because 95% of the list isn't interested and won't attend the meeting. So, okay, so now I've got this amazing 20 to one improvement. I don't really need to make it like 20.3 to one. I got my 20 to one. Is there gonna be some stuff in there that we'll discover won't move forward the next step? Absolutely, should there be? There must be false positives. So, so, uh, this is good stuff, this is another topic I just wrote down there. Are you saying that in most situations, B2B, software selling products, it doesn't have to be, I mean, your truck, uh, the truck uh, client of yours is a good example, but in, in B2B is that I should never do, when I'm doing cold calling, I should never have a one call, one discovery call process. Exactly. Yes. I need exactly. to do that in order to have developed that uh, fear and to trust and, that, uh, and move that flywheel uh, as we talked about before. So Exactly. I mean, the point is process at each step, what that step is designed to process and produce outputs from one step to another that within the boundaries of what you, you need to know about that output, its characteristics. Yeah. You're generally, most of the time, you're within some set of parameters. To make it extensive, keep your opinion out of it. Taking a meeting is objective. 
having an opinion about whether it's a great meeting or not that's going to happen is not objective. So when a rep says, I had a great meeting, I go, that's nice. <laughs> Did you get a test drive? Well, no, they said they had to go back and talk to somebody. Like I had a meeting today and you would have listened to that and gone, what a great meeting, right? Anybody would say it was a great meeting. Wow, that guy's got, you know, he, he answered all the questions. They moved in their understanding. They seemed to have a need. They expressed the kind of with the tone of voice that indicates they're going to go forward. That meeting produced nothing because it didn't produce a test drive, which is what the discovery process is designed to do. So now the process is going into one of its alternative forms, which is they're going to get back to me. I failed as a salesperson to get the next step. But if they come back now, that meeting after the fact became a, a great meeting. Why? Because it produced a test. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, everything needs to be objective. Yeah. As you go down, opinions don't need to apply. No opinion needs to come into the process. I don't know why sales managers listen to the opinion of their reps on any subject whatsoever. It's no value. You know, chop your process up into pieces that produce intermediate outputs that are completely objective and have to do with the prospect's action, not your response to what they said. The subjective nature needs to be in the presentation, in the pitch. The objective has been ironclad since the manufacturing age about what you yeah. And the manufacturing revolution was built on a few great concepts, one of which is push quality upstream. My vendors must, my suppliers must deliver to me stuff that's of high enough quality that I don't have to inspect it. That's the objective standard. I can use what they deliver to my dock without inspection. How do I discover that? I don't discover it by inspection. I discover it by looking at yields. Yeah. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to MarketDominanceGuys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.